Welcome everybody to our special July 4 edition of the Spotlight podcast. Um, as a special treat, I'm going to be speaking to our research director, Armit Nath, today, who's based in New York and has just come off a big July 4 weekend. Welcome, Armit. How are you? G'day, Chris. Good. I'm very good. I, um, I didn't participate in the uh, hot dog eating contest at uh, Coney Island, but... Um, How many hot dogs did the winner eat out at Coney Island this <laughs> July 4 weekend, Armit? Oh my God. It was in the 60s. He hit like, I think it was 64 or something like that in 10 minutes, but uh, it was short of his record, which was in the which was in the mid 70s. So <laughs> this is not his first, this is not his first championship. No, he's I think he's he's been winning this thing for 13 years or something in a row. Or well, maybe not a row, but uh, but for a very long period of time. Interestingly, the guy that came third was an Australian. So doing how, us proud. How far behind was he? Good amount, a double, double digit lag behind the <laughs> behind the behind the leader, but uh, uh, he he still ends up with a bronze medal. Did you uh, did you eat any hot dogs yourself or do any grilling? I did. I, it's quite a it's quite a it's quite a uh, tradition over here. So uh, yeah, hot dogs and uh, some burgers and and buns. It's obviously, it's the day after Independence Day and. Uh, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's it's searing hot. Like it's like 32 degrees Celsius at the moment. So it's uh, it's uh, it's piping. So uh, yeah, it's not it's nice having the day off and uh, and standing over the grill. Yeah, it sounds like a, a cracker, a hot summer's day, a July Fourth holiday, hot dogs, burgers <laughs> on the grill. Very yeah. a lot of Americana. Exactly. It's it's like it's like Australia Day, but. Uh, but uh, across the across the Atlantic, or the Pacific, I should say. All right. Well, we're going to talk about a little bit more uh, Americana here. We're going to switch from hot dogs to <laughs> tobacco and biscuits in a way. Um, now I know that's very cryptic, but it's a way to introduce uh, one of our favourite investments and something you've spent a lot of time working on, and that you've actually written a very compelling piece on um, this month. And our investors and our subscribers to the Monocle will be able to um, read that uh, in the coming days once uh, once that's released. But I wanted to talk to you about KKR and why that is such a special uh, company and such a special position in, in the portfolio. But before we get there, why don't you just tell us what KKR actually is and what it's got to do with tobacco and biscuits. <laughs> sure, absolutely. So, so uh, I'm I'm sure most of our listeners have heard of KKR. It's uh, one of the most storied private equity firms in in the world. It's uh, it's it's basically credited with creating the industry in the you know the take private industry where you know the uh, the the so-called uh, barbarians at the gate knock down the front door of a uh, of a um, unsuspecting or unassuming bloated business and they jam it full of debt and they take it private. Uh, so this is in 1988, a company called RJR Nabisco, which, as you said, is a tobacco and biscuit maker, um, had grown very, very bloated, um, very inefficient. And this was basically the first large-scale um, take-private transaction or leverage buyout um, in history, it was a $25 billion deal back in 1988, 
1988, which is about 64 billion in today's money, which would almost make it in real terms or inflation adjusted the biggest deal of all time, even today, certainly the biggest deal of all time at the time. Uh, but that really that really started the industry. And um, that story was you know, consecrated in a legendary book, which I think everyone in finance um, you know, is, is sort of taught, told to read or at least uh, be aware of, which is Barbarians at the Gate. And that was also turned into a HBO movie for, the, for those that, that don't have uh, the time or the attention span to, to, to watch or sorry, to read the book. I think everybody outside of finance was indoctrinated into the world of private equity by watching the movie Pretty Woman with Richard Gere and Julia Roberts <laughs> back, back in the day. But KKR now today is actually so much more than the barbarian at the gate or the you know Richard Gere uh, style investor, swashbuckling corporate raider who goes in and borrows a lot of money and buys these yep. companies. Um, what does KKR look like today and what do they do? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So that, that that's spot on. I think, but I think the thing is, a lot of investors and, and sort of the perception um, of the business remained the you know the 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 leverage buyout business. But what it's actually evolved into over the last you know decade plus, um, and sort of really sort of inflected in the last you know several years is is a business that addresses the alternate asset management space, which is sort of a blend of not just um, take privates. Or um, leverage buyouts, but across a swath of uh, of investment um, end markets, from credit to real estate to infrastructure to 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 um to obviously to to businesses um, in in varying industries, and so they've they've actually typically grown... private typically private investments, right? These yes. aren't things you can find listed on an exchange, for example. That's right. That's right. That, yeah. that, that's kind of the common thread. Like a, a lot of these bit, like almost all of their strategies are private strategies um, where, you know, the the underlying asset, you know, business, um, et cetera, is is housed off the market. And, 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 the, and that gives them a lot of flexibility to do uh, a, a lot of um, a lot of interesting restructurings and uh, combinations and and also um you know run different capital structures and and also just hold them in in different vehicles uh so you said hold so, them in different vehicles how how does how does kkr actually typically make money here they they're not necessarily going around taking their shareholders money and investing in all of these companies they do something they do they do something a little bit different Yeah, yeah. So, so they they obviously they have, like depending on um, where you want to allocate funds. So if, if if you have if you have an objective around sort of, uh, I guess you start almost with the um, with the horizon of your of your capital. If you have, if you have sort of a long horizon, long term capital, um, you know you, you'd give it to KKR. They'd, they'd put it into a into a longer um, duration strategy, which would be invested in a business so they so, so kkr is actually pooling the money into the funds and presumably they may fees off that yeah exa exactly if you if you wanted to get a, a exposure to um you know any of kkr strategies be that growth equity or real estate infrastructure alternate credit leverage credit traditional private equity um and, and increasingly you know 
myriad of, of varying other strategies. You'd, you would invest in one of their funds alongside a bunch of other investors. Um, and then KKR, you know, given their unique vantage point across, you know, multiple regions and jurisdictions and industries um, and their team, which is which is positioned all over the world, they would then allocate um, or they would then invest that money depending upon the strategy right. that that you had that you had um sort of op that you had invested in right so they're pulling that money and uh they're really a big fee fee machine um look you, you go into some detail in your recent article uh and you boil down uh the investment thesis here around five reasons why kkr is an attractive investment and just quickly you hit on um the massive market opportunity that they have, um, the private wealth or the retail channel, Asia being a big growth story for them. Um, you talk about why KKR is actually has actually become a better, more reliable business, and uh, you, you tie all that up and bring it all together by uh, showing, demonstrating why the stock's actually really cheap. So I just wanted to go through each of those five um, five areas and understand them a little bit better from you, starting with this massive market opportunity. Now, I know that previously you've said um, KKR and some of its private equity or alternative asset management peers have raised a lot of money from the institutional market, and it's a big $65 trillion market. Um, where's the opportunity outside of that in other mar- other massive markets going forward? Yeah, that's a that's a key point. So historically, um, in like regulator regulations, etc., have prevented pretty much anyone except for the most sophisticated of investors giving money to private equity firms. So, you know, that's been the institutional market, which includes you know pensions or endowments, um, sovereign wealth funds, and that's a massive market. But that that's where these traditional private equity players have been for you know since they were since they were born. It's a big market that you said 65 trillion, but it pales in comparison to the two other major markets that um, that the the alternate asset managers as as they've evolved into uh, are able to address now, and the and the and the, the first of which is insurance, yeah, um, which is a 40 trillion dollar market, and obviously insurance, you know, like life insurance, etc. They have long duration liabilities, and so they need long duration assets. Not necessarily equipped, unless you're Warren Buffett, <laughs> to uh-huh. uh, to invest, to invest against, uh, invest and make money over that horizon. And so, increasingly, a lot of insurance companies are partnering with, with um, you know, with the alternate asset managers, specifically, you know, KKR, but also Blackstone and and others, um, to manage their huge, you know, their their huge um asset liability mix around um around their insurance business and so that's 40 trillion dollar market again it's a, it's a reasonably sophisticated customer but obviously highly regulated and 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 over the last few years regulated regulators have become increasingly comfortable with um the alternate asset managers and, and just given the history of leverage buyouts and and the risk involved with managing these very um you know very you know critical uh you know, financial astra- uh, assets or instruments in the economy, uh, that's opened up 
the market. Right. So that's so that's to... insurance. That's that's a forty trillion dollar market opportunity. That that it's it's astounding to use numbers like that. Um, but if we thought. If you thought that was big, tell us how big the <laughs> private wealth opportunity is. Tell us what private wealth actually is and then how big that market is. Yeah, so so and and we'll get into a bit more granularity around um around uh, the the composition of of private wealth and and mass affluent. This is basically individuals, individual investors that typically have like more than a million dollars of assets. And it's an incredible and that's basically the largest market on on earth in terms of asset in terms of asset um, holders, that's where that's where all the assets are held. Um, it's 190 trillion dollars. So if institutional was 65, and that's where the whole game has been played to date for the last you know 25, 30 years, then private wealth is you know three times the size. And and really investors, you know, private wealth um, haven't had access to alternate alternate investments. Um, until very recently, in you know, in in terms of uh, in terms yeah. of being able to put money to work in this space, and so that's sort of the third area: 190 trillion for private wealth, 40 trillion for insurance. They're two new markets. Yeah. Um, so let's let's dig into the private wealth channel a little bit more. Where where have, where have people been typically investing their money up until now? If not in um, if not in private assets and alternative assets, stocks and bonds. Is that yeah. is that the case? Exactly. Yeah. So the pu- public public market has been largely, you know, where you know, so as you say, the, the 40, 60, you know, um, bond equity uh, portfolio allocation, a lot of real estate, I guess, like like people own their yeah. primary residence and, and but it's it's not very it's not a very uh, it's not institutional grade. And so it's not um it's not diversified. It's, it's sort of like it's um it's more public side investing for private wealth largely speaking un- unless you're um a, a very very sophisticated and very large private wealth family office uh you, you probably got access to some of these products in the past but that's not really what um what the private wealth channel and what KKR is 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 democratizing effectively um it's it's really for regular investors or regular investors um they're now able to allocate or get exposure to these strategies that have previously been unavailable to them, only been available to, you know, institutions and 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 insurance companies. These products are now available to um to uh to you know to your to your individual investor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just to give so to give us a sense. Yeah. Uh, when you think about the traditional institutional investors mm-hmm. how much of their portfolios might have been allocated to alternative investments and mm-hmm. how much of how how much on average of a private individual yeah. investors portfolio is allocated to alternatives so, so this 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 is this is the huge opportunity so to, to date you know pensions and endowment funds so they they they're, they're two um, major players in the institutional market They've got about 30 to 50 percent, 30 to 50 percent of their portfolios allocated to alternate asset management strategies. On the same basis, individual investors have less than five percent. And right. because of this, and because of this democratization that's happened, and the access that has now been, you know, created by companies like KKR and, and Blackstone and others, 
it's expected that some $10 trillion worth of assets are going to migrate from private wealth into the alternate asset management space in the medium term. And it's not even that medium, it's, it's, it's through 2025. So over the next few years, it's, uh, it's a huge um, tailwind in terms of uh, if, if that's the business you're in, which KKR is, um, for your business. That, that 10 trillion, obviously all of it's not gonna end up with KKR, but that is 20 times the total assets that KKR manages today. And so even though KKR is a $500 billion um, asset manager, the markets that it addresses and serves, there's literally a hurricane coming down the road. Um, and, and, and they're already they're already doing doing well and um, doing better from the private wealth channel, yeah. right? Yeah, stuff. totally. Yeah, exactly. They're they're doing incredibly well in the private wealth uh, in channel at the moment. And like at the moment, fifteen percent of KKR's new asset flows come from this uh, from this channel. So fifteen percent, but. Um, just given the size of the of the channel and given the inordinate or the incredible opportunity here, KKR expects that will increase to 50% over time. So all the money that comes into KKR, half of it is actually going to be coming from this brand new channel, which you know really hasn't been explored until very recently. Yeah, so it's in insurance is a big market, private wealth is a big market, and I guess. <laughs> You know, we started the conversation talking about KKR and its and 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 its roots in the United States of America. But the third big market opportunity here is outside of the United States. It's actually mm-hmm. it's actually in Asia. And you talk a bit about KKR's Asian business. Um, and 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 it stuck out to me that KKR is actually the number one player in alternative assets in Asia already today. Mm. Yeah, it's it's quite incredible. Um, that was quite 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 a quite um, it was quite a uh, you know, early perspective that KKR took. They they got into the air into the region early and they invested very significantly. Um, and so it's established itself as the um as the the, the market leader in in Asia, and that's that's obviously APAC, uh, which includes which includes um Australia as well. Um, but you know. In core Asia, where where we see developing Asia, um, is really where the you know the golden opportunity exists for uh, for KKR and and just over the just in the region since 2019, as, assets under management have tripled there, um, and what KKR has guided to or kind of has indicated its aspiration for the Asian franchise is. Is that it'll reach the size of its North American business, which is today 60% of assets under management are in North America, um, or are from North American investors. Over time, KKR expects um, Asia to be the same size. So that's another tripling that we're expecting to see. So we've just had a tripling of assets in Asia, hey. and 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 we're going to have another tripling. So share share with us some of the statistics around the Asian market. Uh, tell me tell me a little bit more about why it's going to grow so so large, especially compared to to the North American market. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah, so that, that, that's key. It's obviously demographics in in Asia are very very favorable, favorable, particularly in India and and uh, Indonesia and other parts of uh, parts of um of Asia. Over the last few years, in fact, Asia has accounted for more than half of global growth. 
in terms of GDP. So if you take global GDP growth, Asia has accounted for more than half of that growth over the last you know, three or four years. What happens as regions grow, they, they become more and more developed, more and more, uh, you know, they accumulate more um, wealth. And this creates an enormous need for the products that, that KKR is, is, um, is serving. And so at the moment, alternate assets are less than a quarter penetrated relative to North America. So if North America um, invests to classes, if North America has 31% of its you know, assets allocated to alternatives or strategies that alternate asset managers can address, there's, there's, a, wide, there's a wide grouping there, then Asia has 7%. So that's a that's that's one quarter of of what um, North America is, and and it's half of what Europe Europe has. And so, well, you know, while we're not we're not uh, while the, the the timing around and whether they actually reach similar penetrations or the same equivalent penetrations is uh is is something that will will evolve into, but it's uh, it's increasing and and it's and it's got enormous runway. Yeah, yeah it's quite guide. It's it's yeah it's it's quite incredible just to think of that uh, Asia growing so quickly, um, mm. and and that's outside of China as well. It's all of Asia, but yep. uh, they're all almost you know a, well a few, some years maybe a decade behind in the way that they allocate to alternative or private private market assets, and so you get you get growth from both of those levers in the Asian market. Hundred percent, totally. Um, look, I wanted to switch gears, and uh, we've talked about the massive market opportunities that are in front of of KKR, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about how the quality of the business mm-hmm. has changed. It seems to me that um, the earnings have become a lot more reliable over time. And yes. you pointed out at the beginning of the of the discussion that um, KKR used to be a leverage buyout specialist, and now today it offers a wide range of products and strategies. That's that's had a really positive impact on on the earnings profile of of, of the business. Can you explain that a little bit more and why that's important? Exactly. This actually comes back to I think the point you were making very early in the in our conversation. When um when KKL puts money to work, they buy this. Let's let's take the take private transaction for example. They find a company on the on on the on the listed listed business that they want to take private. Um, they'll 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 take it private, and the money that they use will will come from will come from um come from you or from from an investor they'll then start taking a management fee on that now until kkr you know um, sells the business they don't get a large chunk of their fees which are performance fees until the business is sold and so given that they can be like you know five seven you know sometimes longer um Years between a, a business that is taken private and 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 then you know then either sold um, or 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 IPO'd again, 
it creates a huge lumpiness in their earning streams and public markets hate lumpy earning streams as <laughs> uh, as we as <laughs> As we have, as we've, uh, you know, in the software space and in, in, and in, you know, with utilities, utilities, you know, attract a huge um, multiple because it, the, the earning streams are so consistent and growing. I think everyone um, likes the big lumps. It's the smaller lumps that they have problems with. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, and same with software, with subscription software and, and that type of thing. But those businesses tend to, the market tends to favor yeah, those type yeah. of businesses just just because they can just because it can get its head around it rather than having to you know um easy more it's easier to value i guess and so what kkr has done is the mix of its um of its base management fee effectively which they call fee related earnings has grown from about you know two two fifths to around three quarters over the last you know several years and so that's basically the subscription style earnings mix um, for KKR. So the episodic lumpy piece has effectively compressed to a quarter um, from, you know, 60% previously. And so if you were to assign multiples to that, you know, obviously we, our, um, our valuation process is, uh, is, uh, is a little more, you know, rigorous and a lot more detailed and bottoms up than, than a multiple, but, you know, in the context of, of a multiple, you would assign a much lower multiple to a episodic um, earning stream than a very consistent smooth earning stream um and so that's what kkr has has, has effectively done like it's uh, it's it's pivoted and um and uh, modified the way that it earns money and the way that it gets paid for its um its its investing uh such that its reliance on take private and then ipo type um, endeavors is is a is a much lower piece of the value equation for um for a shareholder in KKR. So if which these, is good news. So if these earning streams become smoother, more predictable, and more consistent, you expect that uh, KKR would be valued at a much at a, at a high multiple of those earnings. Um, and we know that some software companies trade it. 30 times or more their uh, their current earnings level. Is that the case with KKR? And I know that's a leading question because I've read your paper. <laughs> that's why you're interviewing me, Chris. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a very very good point. You've uh, you've touched on the point. Um, so depending on how you look at um, KKR, so the industry broadly speaking consists of you know, obviously Blackstone and Brookfield and TPG and Aries and Apollo and, and all and all the and all its peers, all of KKR's peers. KKR is unique in the fact in the in in the in the way it actually uses its balance sheet. So a lot of the other funds, well a lot of the other asset managers in that list that I mentioned, will basically pass back cash to their shareholders. KKR actually accumulates and invests the cash that it generates um, in its own funds. And so KKR has a balance sheet that is about $25 billion of equity investments. In right, its so own just funds. So, so I've got that clear. Most other asset managers, um, they make the fees uh, and they they return those profits to, to their shareholders. There's no real reason for them to have 
what you called a, a balance sheet or to retain any capital. But KKR is doing something a little bit different to that. They don't have to, they don't need that capital to run their business, but they, they're keeping some of it so they can make investments and, and make great returns off those investments. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. so if, and just given how large those investments are, so to give you an idea, KKR's balance sheet or its investments on its balance sheet are 10 to 20 times the size of its peers. And so if you were to like, if you were to, given these investments are, you know, are basically a form of, you could consider them to be a form of a liquid cash, but as you said, they compound and they grow. So they're like literally stakes or, or ownership interests in very, very high quality businesses that um, that KKR has. If you were to eliminate them and assume that they were marked at zero, so they're worth nothing, KKR trades approximately in line, still a discount to its peers. Its peer set trades at about 29 times earnings and KKR trades at 24 times earnings. Right, so it's still and a slight discount. So, so still a slight discount. But, and so, but then do that exercise, do that exercise um, for us and and uh, strip out the value of those mm -hmm. investments that have been made on behalf of shareholders and tell me what does that mean the asset management business of KKR is would be valued at. Yeah, and so that, that's that's the this is this is this is the uh, this is quite the incredible uh, number. If if you are to strip out those investments, KKR's multiple becomes 13 times. And so, right, so the asset management business comparable to all of its peers out there. Yep. Is is trading at just 13 times earnings. Yeah, exactly. And then and and, right. and that number that number like for like to its peer set is uh is looking at a 28 times. So the 15 times or 15 multiple discount. And so if you know if if the market wakes up tomorrow and, and realizes that these investments are actually worth something like they shouldn't be marked at zero then you would expect to see the stock depending on where where it marked it if it marked it um if it marked it you know dollar for dollar um it would obviously the stock would double overnight um right without without, without doing so, anything yeah that's um it's 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 pretty compelling so that's that's saying that, that's saying that uh even just to today recognizing the value of the investments that sit on KKR's balance sheet and then revaluing the business in line with its with its peers, the stock could almost double. But then, of course, there's value creation that will come over time as well. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's almost like a um, it's almost like just a, it's, it's almost like a, a time release. Because there isn't really any reason, you know, the 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 bears or kind of the counterfactual or the uh, kind of the counter argument or the pre mortem etc. would be, oh, th these um these equity interests that they have are, are, are worth nothing, and you know they've just done a very bad job of investing, um, which we know is is not actually true. But let's just let's just let's just do the uh, the thought experiment. Even if they have, even if these investments are not worth anything. The um the base business trading at 24 times versus its peer median at 29 times, excluding the balance sheet investment, means that KKR trades at a discount to its peer set. We know for a fact, just based on its performance, its historical performance, um, where it sits with uh, in investor surveys, that KKR is in the top 5% of all asset managers on earth, but it trades below the average 
of its of its peer group, excluding its balance sheet investments. Um, and so, if you were to include them, you end up in a in a really kind of a unique, interesting, you know, um, you know, value equation because uh, you're getting a lot of business for for not a lot of money. Yeah, of course. I think that's the that's the massive opportunity in front of us and in front of all investors in in KKR. Absolutely. I mean, as as a, as a as you know, you know, our sort of formula is uh, sort of identifying you know, large, reliable stru- structural transformations in businesses that have favorable economics. And, um, you know, KKR, we believe, sort of satisfies, you know, that criteria. Um, and it looks uh, very undervalued by the uh, by the equity market at the moment. Absolutely. Um, well, look, that's that's an excellent rundown on your thesis around KKR and everybody can read that article in more detail uh, that comes out in this month's monocle. Um, They can also go back to previous monocles where you've written about Blackstone, which is KKR's larger peer and investment in the Montego funds as well. So that'd be uh, a good complimentary article to read alongside the, the KKR article. Um, another company that's operating in the similar space with um, similar large opportunities a, a, ahead, um, and so that that's also available in in previous previous editions of the monocle as well. Absolutely, and and I think you've also written a few um, articles and presented a few uh, a few times on uh, on this topic. We've uh, we've been uh, been following it for a number of years now. That's right. We've been invested in both those companies for for a couple of years, so. I dare say that if you were to uh, do a search of our website on Blackstone KKR or private equity, you might even find a couple of articles and presentations with my name against them too. Um, <laughs> look, thanks for joining us, Armit. Um, it's been an excellent conversation and um, thank you very much for offering all of your your thoughts on, and your detailed work on 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 KKR. It's um it's a it's a really special position in our portfolio and I. I I, I think it has a place in, in many portfolios. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Thank you, everybody. And we look forward to speaking to you again next month. Bye for now.